writing for the Chicago Tribune for the past 37 years. I'll write it myself. A personal story my readers will connect with. You're going to be all the guys? How would that work? Illinois Sports Writer of the Year in 2015 and 2016. Don't act like you're not impressed. Most importantly, a major part of a Cubs player's life. There is another Bodie in the world. P. Sullivan Bodie. He made a deal with Sully. If you write my story, because it's such an amazing one, before David Hawk can get to it, I'll name a kid after. It's Paul Sullivan with Matt Spiegel on Hit and Run. Oh, I love that. That's this week on the Scores Morning Show on Mully and Ha. And they're talking about David Bodie's kid, Sully. Poor Na- Bodie. Named after you. Congratulations, I, Paul. I feel so bad for him because right? obviously there's some reason that he named his kid uh, Sullivan, and it's, it has, must have a special meaning for someone, but it has nothing to do with me. I don't even know if he knows me, honestly. Uh, I have interviewed him, so he. He has met me. But, he, uh, he, he knows you. <laughs> Who doesn't know you, Paul Sullivan? Oh, you'd be surprised. Oh, my God. Uh, an absolute fixture of the baseball scene here in Chicago. A guy um, who was on my list, high on my list of folks I wanted to come in here and do this job with me. So thanks for coming in for an hour or so to be my guest co-host. Wow, thanks for having me. Uh, this has been a, a long uh, gap between <laughs> co-hosting <laughs> on the score. Uh, 2001, my last co-host with Julie Schweika back Back in the day. Ah, uh, there you go. You, yeah. you and Jules in 2000, something go horribly wrong that day? Something went horribly wrong and they never asked me back, <laughs> but uh, it's cool. I, I do love the score. So I, you know, one of the things that I always think of, I always think of you and Bill Vec sitting in the bleachers <laughs> together. So we'll get there at some point. Okay. But that's just a starting point for like the scope of baseball history that you've been around for. Because you have had different times in your trip career where you were on the White Sox beat, you were on the Cubs beat, you yeah. were writing national stuff yeah. and, and writing sort of local interest stories on baseball. I don't know exactly what the role is now, but you've done everything. I, I don't either, <laughs> honestly. Kind of a hybrid now. I guess uh, I started out like as a weekend guy and a fill-in and features, and then this is like in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, I eventually I did the Bears. I was on the Bears with the when Dan McNeil, we were partying up in Platteville back in the day. I did <laughs> the Bulls with Sam Smith. So I've done basically everything. But uh, I have been on baseball since uh, the late 80s and uh, uh, hard to remember everything about it. But, uh, yeah, Bill Vec was one of them. And uh, Andre Dawson, yes, uh, I did cover uh, Andre back in the day. Yeah, this morning I just I, I Googled Paul Sullivan, Andre Dawson, because there is a picture, and I didn't find it this morning, but I know you have it, that was in Sports Illustrated. Yeah. And it was from from Hawks, Hawk Dawson, not, not Harrelson, from the Hawks' um, 1987 MVP season, right? Yeah. And you're, and you're in the bleachers just hanging out. Just hanging out in the bleachers with some buddies at the Tribune. And, uh, yeah, I think we confiscated all those copies from the Tribune, so uh, we have destroyed most of them. But, yeah, it's out there somewhere. Why? Because it didn't want to be known that, the, that the, the staffers were out there drinking and having a good time? Well, yeah, there's, a, you know, there's some things going on there that we don't want to talk about. But, uh, anyways, <laughs> it was uh, – you know, I, I am. I did hang out in the bleachers a lot back then, and and at Sox Park, Sox Park uh, bleachers uh, back in the day too. So yeah, with Terry Armour, the late great Terry Armour. So uh, uh, yeah, I know, I know that was a serious running buddy of yours. Terry yeah, Armour. oh yeah, I've, we used to see you down at Justin's many times, and mm-hmm. uh, no, so uh, you know, I, I I really didn't plan on becoming a, a baseball writer. I was uh, city side, you know, covering crime and murders and fires and stuff like that, and uh, that's what I thought I would 
be doing at this point in my career. But uh, Mike Royko sent me over to sports, and uh, I've been there ever since. Yeah, all right. So hold on. So legendary columnist, one of the greatest who ever even attempted it. Um, a guy, I, I've read portions of Royko columns on the air for years. The one that he wrote about Jackie Robinson's oh, yeah. Yeah. first time. I get chills just thinking about it. That yeah. one he wrote about Jackie Robinson's first time at Wrigley. But it, anyway, so Royko, a lot of people know Royko. You were his leg man for a couple of years is the term, right? So yeah. you're a young staffer and you're what? You're running around doing errands for Royko? Yeah, um, I was. Uh, uh, I had an internship at the Tribune as uh, I had started out as a copy boy, and they weren't going to uh, hire me after the internship. I was going to go to L.A. to get a job at the Daily News, and uh, one night in the Billy Goat, uh, someone told Royko that I was leaving, and he said, uh, oh, "You want to come work for me?" And I was like, uh, "Yeah." <laughs> so, wow. you know, Mike Royko, and. Uh, so, yeah, I worked for him for two years. You know, it was part getting his lunch, getting his coffee, uh, but a lot of reporting. I, I did a lot of stuff on – I don't know if you know or if you remember the War Wimps uh, series that he did. He did a lot of research on, you know, uh, people in Congress that would uh, – you know, were hawks on spending huh. but uh, would never, you know, got out of – you know, going to Vietnam. So uh, ah. I had to research like every member of Congress. Uh, first, you have to do all their spending, you know, what they're voting on. And then you have to go and see if they got out of the war in Vietnam. And it was a long, long, really a lot of research. And that's, it taught me a lot. That's, well, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that, that ends up being the backbone of a column or nine. And, yeah. and, and you learn that's how the business is done. And then I was reading this about you, Paul Sullivan, that you wrote a piece for the Metro section of the Tribune. On the last day of the 1983 season uh, for the Cubs, yeah, and you're sitting with fans in the right field bleachers, which is where you would normally sit, yeah. And anyway, and yeah. that I think is when you interviewed Bill Veck, among others. Is is that ring a bell? Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of remember that. I, I he was sitting in center field, so I had to, you know, I was walking around. I think uh, was that is a story. That I remember Jim Fink's uh, was the Cubs president or something the bears guy had wow. worked for the cubs for i don't remember why he was there but i interviewed him and he was with bill veck and wow uh i think ronnie Wu was probably in the story uh -huh. he usually is yeah um but yeah that's where i sat and uh, sometimes i sat in center bill veck was in the first row of the bleachers in upper deck and center and uh just just the greatest guy i wish i had you know taped it i you know, had a notepad but I wish I'd had those tapes now. Um, just, Seriously, just a just a great guy, and would always bring about five. This is before uh, you know uh, skin cancer was a, a big deal. <laughs> he would like just you know burn. He'd bring all these different types of sun lotion out for different people. Oh, you need this one. You need this one. <laughs> a big basket full of uh, lamb chops that uh, you know his wife made and. No, he was such an interesting character. He brought a basket full of, of cooked lamb chops yeah. to, the, to the bleachers. Yeah, he did not want – and he would share it with people. He did not uh, He did not buy – I never saw him eat a hot dog or buy food there. He, Why would you when your wife's making but, lamb chops? I, you know, I, I've said this to be, you before, I think. He had this, like, you know, the thing in his leg that uh, he could just, like, 
drink forever without going to the bathroom and we always assumed he, you know, just had something in his shoe or something that Well, just, he had a wooden leg. Yeah. He had a wooden leg and I know there was With an, an ashtray. Yeah, there was an ashtray <laughs> yeah. in the wooden leg. This yeah. is Bill Vec, the longtime owner of of the White Sox, yeah. whose father ran the Cubs in the yeah. late 1910s and yeah. 20s. Um the book Vec is in Rec is one of the great reads. Yeah. For any baseball fan, especially a Chicago baseball fan, there's unbelievable stuff in there. Yeah. But so this is Bill Beck. He had a wooden leg with an ashtray in it, and you uh, think there was some kind of I don't know some he, kind of urine. I just thing? never understood how he could drink <laughs> as much as he could without you know. And back then, the only bathroom was down at the bottom of the bleachers, and uh, he would have to like get his peg leg down the, <laughs> all the way down the ramps, and uh, he hardly ever did. So I just assumed that. He had something going on. Wow. Uh, one of my favorite places in town, uh, Miller's Pub over there yeah. on Wabash, oh, yeah. which is a great place. Just like the walls are covered with with baseball pictures. Um, and that's like that's like where they where they announced that the White Sox were going to wear shorts yeah. one year. Yeah. You know, that that's where they had their little press conference to do it. But the bartender there's still an old bartender there, at least last time I was there, who remembers Vec and Vec used to go to the bookstore. They're on Wabash and then walk in with a shopping bag full of books and just hang out and drink all day at Miller's Pub. Yeah. Oh, he was he was such an interesting person uh, and a Hall of Famer, obviously. Uh, not very well liked by his fellow owners back then because mm-hmm. he was so different and he had so many different ideas. The exploding scoreboard was, uh, yeah. you know, something that people have all the time now. He yeah. invented that. Invented the exploding scoreboard, uh, uh, planted the Wrigley, the Ivy at Wrigley. The Ivy personally helped plant the ivy personally yeah. planted the ivy that's still at wrigley today yeah i think he invented ladies days back when they had those uh-huh. um yeah i mean just so many things and uh pitch he, to a midget pitch to a midget yeah i've been called eddie goodell a few times oh, in my life that, that uh, right. and he was a buddy of royco's too so I, I got to know him a little bit through that too uh Oh yeah, well that, that's awesome. That makes all the sense in the world. And also, and before we get current, one one more thing from back there. Um, covered the 1983 ALCS yes. with the Royals and, or sorry, with the this, Orioles and the White Sox. The Tito Landrum winning home run. Yeah, I got in a lot of trouble for that because uh, I said I was on City Side. I was just providing some color, you know, for the future stories. And uh, I sat next to Eddie Einhorn, and he, uh, you know, when uh, Tito Landrum hit the home run, he. he threw a fit and stormed out of his uh, box seat. And uh, so I fed in all my notes to the desk and, you know, went out partying with my friends that night and didn't think anything of it. And then the next morning, my friend calls me and says, uh, yeah, Eddie Einhorn is uh, going to sue the Tribune for your story because <laughs> he had a radio show on, I think it was MAQ back then. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? <laughs> That's this very frequency, folks. We yes. must ask questions. But uh, it turned out uh, he did not sue the Tribune. and uh, But somebody had just uh, written – they had taken all the bad things that he said – and he was really upset during the game because it was a you know there was the Dibzinski game yeah with a lot of bad things going on and oh boy uh, yeah he was uh, not happy but he, I got to meet him later as you know when I was covering the Sox and he, really a great guy see uh, Sull- Paul Sullivan is is a, a walking history book of baseball in this town I know Jerome Holtzman was your mentor yeah but it's it's, it's one of them Bob well, Verde okay you know Bernie Linscombe I, I had quite a few but, yeah, yeah there's some good ones there's yeah. some good ones but like this. This is this is your job now is to share everything that's in there that you remember from this stuff. And it's yeah. my job to pull it out of you. Yeah, you know, I do I know I'm I'm turning into one of those people that like even today in the column I did something on the twenty six inning 
game where both pitchers went 26 innings from, uh, you know, 1920. And probably maybe, I don't know if millennials want to hear that kind of stuff. But I like telling it. Uh, so you can skip it over if you want. But oh, no, I, I do like the history. Don't don't apologize for it. That that that's part of what makes the game great and special is that there is this eternal history. And the thing is, when it's Chicago history, it all gets intertwined. I, I keep thinking about there's a there's a moment in Vec is in Wreck where he's talking about how Christy Mathewson went to Riverview, the the amusement yeah. park. And was like throwing baseballs at, you know, the the dunk tank thing where you have yeah. to hit the target with a baseball. Yeah. It's one of the greatest pitchers in the history of the game at Riverview throwing baseballs at the dunk tank. Really? Yeah. You know, like like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Or like here we are in the 100th anniversary of the 1919 Black Sox. And I didn't know until I read one of my favorite books, which is Harpo Speaks. It's Harpo Marx's autobiography. Really? Absolutely brilliant. They were stationed in Chicago for years as they played the vaudeville circuit and they would ride trains from Chicago to wherever they went. They went to White Sox games all the time. Really? Mark's brothers saw a ton of games in the 1919 Black Sox season. Well, I got to say, uh, my grandmother was Charles Comiskey's secretary. I don't know if I've ever told you that no, one. No, you have yeah. not. So she, uh, yeah, she partied with Bay Ruth over at McCuddy's. She knew uh, Francis McCuddy, the owner of McCuddy's, really well. That was an old bar Right across from Sox Park or Comiskey or whatever. Wow, so the the old man Comiskey. The, yeah, the man. so I have, uh, during the recent polar vortex, uh, I had a lot of stuff destroyed from a leaky pipe in my storage unit, and I got out all the boxes, and I'm throwing out stuff, and I, I found some letters to my grandmother from Comiskey. He was on a trip in Europe saying, thanks for watching the park while I'm gone this winter. <laughs> like, oh, my God. So she was in charge of like, Comiskey Park in the winter. Wow. Um, Wow, yeah, it was. It's yeah. That's 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 awesome. Um, he's Paul Sullivan from the Chicago Tribune. I'm Matt Spiegel. This is Hit and Run on 670. The score. This hour is brought to you by Continental Toyota. Experience the Continental Toyota difference with over 400 new and used vehicles in stock, located on the Grange Road and I-55 in Hodgkins. ContinentalToyota.com. Our own Bruce Levine is going to check in at some point here with the latest news on Aloy Jimenez, who goes on the injured list for the Chicago White Sox. Uh, we'll talk about the White Sox and the Tribune a little bit. Uh, Also, when we come back, because I'm curious about something a lot of listeners have been hitting me up about as well. Um, And I want to talk to you about some of the characters that you have covered through the years. I'm wondering who are some of the ones that stick with you indelibly, and I have a couple guesses who they might be. Oh, well, geez, there's just so many, but obviously Sammy and uh, the Big Hurt, probably the two most prominent. uh, Well, you know, that's a tease. This is a tease. So let me get to the break and we'll come back and uh ask you further. Okay. On 670 The Score, it's it's, uh, hit and run. Spiegs and Paul Sullivan this hour. Keep it right here on The Score. Tim has the best batting average through 23 games. And this ball's drilled. We got a star on our hands on the south side. That's Tim Anderson with the walk-off in a crazy 12-11 game the other night at the Gary. Guaranteed rate. 
I'm trying to get the Gary. Gary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not happening. <laughs> I'm like in Mean Girls when they say, stop trying to make fetch happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen. The Gary's not going to happen, but I don't care, Paul. I'm still going to go with Sox Park. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't have to apologize to me. You can apologize to them. Um, or not. But does the Tribune have a Sox beat writer? Right now. By the way, that's Paul Sullivan of the Chicago Tribune. He's my guest co-host here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. I'm Matt Spiegel. Does the Trib have a Sox beat writer right now? I would say that I am uh, the de facto beat writer uh, part-time, but mostly it's a bullpen by committee thing. We've got uh, Lamont Pope from our sister paper, uh, Gary Post-Tribune, is helping out. Uh, Phil Thompson, who works in the office mostly, he's doing some games. Uh, Mm -hmm. Teddy Greenstein will be... Uh, out at the park against the Orioles this week. So, uh, yeah, ever since uh, Chris Cook left, uh, was laid off uh, about a year ago, we've uh, just had a, a rotating number of people doing it. Got you. Um, it's a decaying uh, industry, as uh, everybody can knows and, and can attest to. But that's um, that's is that fairly unprecedented to not have a beat writer for one of the two major league teams? I would think it's rare. Uh, I'm not sure about that, but I do know that, uh, you know, there's times when you pull the beat writer off the team at the end of the season when nothing's going on. Sure. But, uh, at least road games. But I, I don't remember, uh, <clears throat> you know, not covering road games this early in the season. We I did the uh, opening series in KC. I'll, I'll be doing some other road series, but... Obviously, we're having Associated Press do it. And it's not just us. I mean, MLB.com, who, you know, yeah. has a major stake in this. They're, you know, they don't send Scott Merkin to all their road series. The Athletic didn't send a writer to Baltimore last week. So it's, you know, when a team is, is not delivering um, readership, uh, then, you know, some of the bosses look at the numbers and they say, oh, where, where could we use our resources better? And for us, mm-hmm. it's Bears coverage. The Bears are... Even in an off season, there is no off season. Obviously, there is no off season, and this is now. This is it's always been a Bears town when they're yeah. good, and now you're getting a taste of what that's like again. Yeah. So I do wish we would have a uh, White Sox writer, and I uh, apologize to the people that uh, are upset about that, and I I do hear about it every day. Yeah. But uh, I do think that once uh, things get a little better for the White Sox, we we will have one. Um, I w- wanted. To, to, and I think that they will get better. Those things will get better. Overall, it's such an interesting thing when you let the people who've been a part of failure be the ones in charge of the rebuild. And I know that they have shifted some responsibilities and added a few other people. And by the way, down the road, I, I'm looking forward. I think we'll have Nick Hostetler, the director of scouting, and Jeremy Haber, who is the assistant general manager. I think we're going to have the two of them together in here for Hit and Run, which I'm very much looking forward to because I think people have a lot of questions about how the White Sox front office is running. But here we are, three years in to the rebuild, and um, Eloy Jimenez onto the injured list. Uh, Yohan Moncada is having a very good year and looking like an important piece. Dylan Cease is killing it. or I mean, He's pitching pretty well at AAA and will be here yeah, eventually. Yeah, he had one bad outing. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. Um, but it, your, your, your thoughts on where that rebuild stands and whether they are on schedule. Or not? Um, I don't know if they're on schedule only because of the, of the injuries that you just mentioned. I mean, uh, it just it seems like they're just snake bit with uh, the Kopech injury. Obviously, Dane Dunning, 
uh, Tommy John uh, burger with the Achilles last year. Yeah, I it just seems so many. And you know, Louis uh, Robert has the the thumb; it just keeps acting up. But uh, I do think once they're all healthy and together, it, it's you know a lot of talent there. Uh, Robert's really impressive uh, down at Class A Winston Salem. Uh, obviously, he'll be brought up uh, probably Double A, Triple A soon. Mm-hmm. Um, at Double A, it's Omar Vizquel, right? That's the manager, I believe, at Double A. Yeah, Birmingham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, so yeah, I think they have a lot of great pieces that are, are going to be in place. I, mm-hmm. I wasn't really. Uh, sure why they did the Nova and Santana thing this year. I think Sox fans, personally, I think Sox fans would rather see, you know, young guys fail in the rotation than watch old guys fail in the rotation. Mm. I know they're buying time for the kids, but, um, I mean, the Santana thing was just a a horrible miscalculation there. Yeah, you know, there's an awkwardness for some of these kind of starts in the midst of a rebuild because they just don't matter. And yeah. that, that, that's, that's the sad reality is that it just kind of doesn't matter. So to use major league bullets and stressful pitches, uh, you know, for your young pitchers in the context of starts that don't matter, I, I understand why as a front office you wouldn't want to do it sometimes with yeah. the likes of Cease, you know? Yeah. There's no reason not to throw Carson Fulmer out there and give him a shot. Yeah, well, I, I mean, the thing with the Sox is that the division is is not that good this year. So um, I think that, you know, if, if they were around 500, they could at least be in contention for most of the summer, mm-hmm. which would be a, a step ahead, obviously, after 100 losses. But, uh, you know, I, I understand what they're doing. I just think that uh, I wish I could see them rush a little bit more of some of its hmm. bottom of the hour is brought to you by the Chicago Wolves. Nothing beats playoff hockey in Chicago. Your central division champion, Chicago Wolves and Grand Rapids play today at three at Allstate Arena in a winner take all game for playoff information or tickets. Visit Chicago dot com. You know who agrees with you on that is Frank Thomas. Yeah. And he's not afraid to say so on yeah. the team um, sanctioned pregame, which I appreciate. Great. He's, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I, you know, Frank was always pretty honest as a player, a little bit too honest sometimes because it got him in trouble and, and then it would get me in trouble because I would write what he said. And <laughs> I remember once he said he wanted to be traded before the game and I said, well, where do you want to go? He said, oh, anywhere but Alaska. So I go up and write my story. It's on the internet. And after the game, Frank says, yeah, I, I don't want to use that quote. I'm like, Frank, it's already <laughs> on the internet. We, I can't take it out now. And he's oh. like, ah, Solomon. But, uh, yeah, no, Frank, a lot of kudos to Frank and Ozzy uh, really, uh, you know, doing some truth-telling. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know how long they'll last. <laughs> you well, know, y- but, you know, I, I don't know. Like, people always loved that about Ozzy anyway. Yeah. Like, like, that was one of the things that Sox fans loved about Ozzy so much is that he'd come out after a game. I, I, remember, I remember the game because, because it ended. It was a one-minute soundbite. God, I wish I could find it where Ozzy came out and sat at the podium and just destroyed the team. This is how we played. We did this bad. We did that bad. We did this bad. At the game in Toronto? Was uh, that it? I I think so because the last two seconds, because John Danks had pitched, and he said the last two seconds, he said, and Danks pitched well. (laughs) And that was the only remotely positive thing he said in his full one minute and one second post game. You know what I mean? But like – Fans, fans want that. They want wow. that every once in a while. Especially Sox fans, you know. We, yes. you know, it's older Sox fans are brought up on Jimmy and Harry. You know, I mean, that's uh-huh. they want the truth. And um, you know, I think most fans are are into the rebuild and they're they're you know all in on this. But uh, you know, when they see bad baseball, 
you know, they, they wanted pointed out. Uh, Abreu, you know, passing the Tim Anderson on the base pass uh, the other day. For what would have been uh, the go-ahead run. Outrageous. I mean, it was, you know, they won the game and everyone was like, okay, well, they won. Who cares? But it's outrageous that that happens. I've never seen it. You'll never see it again. It's just a terrible thing to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know what's interesting about that? Like, there are times when I will go hard on the White Sox, as I did at the end of the Manny Machado stuff, and I just, you know, and, and the way that Kenny Williams talked about it and all, and we've been through it. But the people who wanted me to go the hardest or would say thank you for saying that or whatever were Sox fans. Yeah. Were like the, the hardest core Sox fans because they were, they were angry. They were yeah. angry and they were sad and they were, and, and it's, and it was about them themselves and like, what am I doing? Like, you know, it was a very interesting dynamic when yeah. that went south in this offseason. Well, especially understand. since, you know, they, they, no one expected them to go all in on, on Manny Machado or Bryce Harper, which it turned out they didn't really go all in on Bryce Harper, though they met him. But I think, you know, we had months and months of mostly me writing about it and sometimes obviously and, and I think people got their hopes up, and then when it just came crashing down like that, they yeah. were upset. Um, and I think the Sox got their hopes up. They they yeah. they tried. Yeah, they wanted this to happen. Yeah, well, they didn't try hard enough. Yeah, but yeah. They did try. Yeah. I mean, and I'm personally, you know, when you see how Machado's doing in San Diego and really kind of lifting that team into contention, it, it's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I, I find that there's really two separate and completely opposite types of Sox fans, those that don't want any criticism and that's kind of a skewing younger and those that want nothing but criticism. And then that's kind of my era. Hmm. Um, wondering about some of the ball players that you look back on, you mentioned Frank and why was Frank so compelling um, to you? Uh, because there's obviously a level of respect for the kind of ball player he oh, yeah. is. And maybe, maybe, and I don't know about, preparation or work habits or those kind of things that you saw. But but no. what do you think of in terms of Frank? I Frank just Thomas? think of outspoken and, uh, you know, easily peeved at, you know, I remember uh, he would walk out of spring training for some kind of silly things. Uh, remember the doctor's note uh, he gave to Jerry Manuel. He couldn't participate in the uh, some drill, a cone drill or whatever it was. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was one, and there was one where Alex uh, Rodriguez got some you know, gargantuan contract. Uh-huh. Frank was thus very underpaid at that point, <laughs> and uh, he was upset about that, walked out, the diminished skills clause thing. So, oh, yeah. You know, I, I just happened to cover Frank during a lot of his uh, days when he was outspoken and upset about things, And uh, mm-hmm. but he was the best, probably the best player I've ever covered, and uh, to this day, uh, you know, I, I enjoy talking to him. Uh, and I enjoyed same with Sammy. I enjoyed covering Sammy. You know, we had our moments that weren't that good, but um, you know, you like covering guys that are, you know, super talents. And one of the things I like most about this over the years is watching a player become a star, as we're seeing now with Tim Anderson, and how it changes them and changes their personality. Their confidence grows. Uh, hmm. You know, I saw it with Rizzo and. Uh, you know, Bryant and Baez and, uh, you know, you see it, you're seeing it with Timmy, you're seeing it with, uh, Yohan Moncada, um, and hopefully with Dylan Cease and other guys. Uh, it's just, 
you know, they start out, they're not really sure, and then uh, then they finally figure it out, and uh-huh. it, it's a great thing. Yeah, and that's that, and that's why I love the game. The way you're talking about it is like it's a backdrop for observing humanity, isn't yeah. it? Like yeah. you really you watch these kids kind of grow up and sort of grow into their roles, and exactly. some of them become successful. How do you handle that? Yeah. How do you deal with that? Oh, by the way, a lot of them fail miserably. How do you deal with that? Yeah. And what kind of what kind of person do you become? What kind of life lessons do you learn along the way? Yeah. You know, it's 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 really it's really quite something to see Gordon Beckham still playing baseball yeah. at age thirty one. Yeah. Props has, to him. Right. That has had an effect on me because. Of what we watched, he comes and arrives, and like he's he has this great arrival, and then Ozzy kind of rips him, like let's not let's not put bacon in the Hall of Fame, yeah, right, bacon, or, or bacon, <laughs> right, do that kind of stuff, and then we talked to him every week here on the score, me and Mac. Talk to Gordon Beckham every week, and it became one of the more painful interview experiences of my life. Yeah. Because he would struggle, and he wouldn't have answers, and you felt him searching, and you just felt so bad for the kid. And here he is on team number eight. Yeah. And still going at the age of 31. Yeah, and there's just stories like that. All the Rich Hill. I mean, yes. look at he was out of baseball uh, and then came back. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, you de- you develop relationships with guys and you want them to succeed. And you know, we're human. We're supposed to, you know, not be rooting for the teams or anything. But you'd, I root for players to succeed. I was. I told Rich Hill the other day. I, I almost threw a brick at my TV when they took him out of the. <laughs> game with a one hitter in the world series uh i said you owe me a tv man uh so i i root for individuals i don't root for teams as much and uh I, you know i'm not a big stat guy i know that the game is trending towards all the stats and, uh, and you're a big stat guy but i i think more the human aspect uh, is more interesting to me it's all there yeah. it, it's all there whatever angle you want to take it conversationally and sort of with your curiosity is is available, and, and that's why I love it. But no, the human side is always going to interest me more. Yeah. And, and it, it's been really nicely instructive, I think, as um, baseball fans in this town have been exposed to the workings of Theo Epstein and Jed yeah. Hoyer and that whole batch. And they had this reputation as stat heads. Yeah. And you realize how much they care and pay attention to the human side of stuff. Yeah, they do. And, uh, you know, you can see with all the mental skills department uh, yep. hires uh, this year alone uh, that they're, they really think that that's a part of the game that's going to help them succeed. And mm-hmm. uh, Because really, when you look at it, uh, I mean, everyone's got the uh, numbers crunchers now, all the analysts, that I don't know how much more you can get out of that that, that another team doesn't have. But if you can get into a player's mindsets – and help him that way. I mean, Chris Bryant right now is is an interesting story to me because he, you know, started out his career with nothing but success yes. from the very start. Never, you know, he had some struggles for a, a week or two, but never a season. And now, you know, he's his power this year hasn't shown, and he's coming off the shoulder injury. Some people are starting to question him, and he's been a little less. Uh, uh, present in the clubhouse, should I say, mm-hmm. uh, during these struggles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's interesting to see how he's going to come out of it. I think he will, but you know, right now it's a hard time for him. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the numbers and actually watching some a lot of the at-bats of Bryant say that he is coming out of it. He's got a 980 OPS over the last eight games, seven hits, seven walks, one hit by pitch, been pulling the ball with more authority, hit the home run the other night. But it, it, what you're talking about is is very interesting because there was a quote from him a couple of weeks ago where he said, it's crazy 
you think the more you play this game, the less pressure you will feel. And that's not how it works. Yeah. Because at, to your point, here he was struggling last year, shifting his mechanics around to try and get through a season with health, having the off season of just trying to be himself again, feeling great about that. And then coming out and being awful yeah. for a few weeks will get in anybody's head, no matter how strong they are and how successful they've been. Yeah. And you know, the thing last year, everyone accusing him and, uh, some other players of getting uh, the hitting coach fired, Chili Davis, yeah. even though it was a, a lot bigger issue than than that. But that was probably part of it. Um, so I think uh, he's probably got a lot on his shoulders right now. And mm-hmm. uh, he is such a great kid that, uh, you know, I think he'll come out of it. But, uh, you know, it, it, he's not like Rizzo. They're totally different personalities. Rizzo, you know, he's been slumps in April before and he just like shrugs it off and he knows he's going to hit. Got a couple a couple more minutes here with Paul Sullivan. Want to talk about one uh, Cub from the past who I always think of when I think about with you. Actually, I guess he's from the present as well. Um, and then some more about these these current guys. Uh, we'll talk about that with the Tribune's Paul Sullivan right here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. Well, right now, the last couple of days, he's missed his pitch. I like the swing on his pitch, but he's missed his pitch. I think right now he's, he's setting up. He's satisfied. I'm satisfied. He's satisfied the way he's setting up, ready to hit in the box. Now, the next thing is when you see your pitch, it's got to go that way fair. That's what I'm seeing. I, I honestly believe he actually looks pretty good. He's putting in play maybe pitchers' pitches, and the one that he should be shooting out there, it's just a tick off. That's Joe Madden talking about Chris Bryant, and that's before kind of this, this breakout that has started to take place that I think you could see coming if you watched that homestand. You saw some more at-bats where he's hitting it with authority, some more, you know, taking his walks and and that kind of stuff. It's 670 the score. It's hit and run with me, Matt Spiegel, and him, Paul Sullivan, from the Chicago Tribune, is my guest co-host today. We're going to talk to Mike Farron uh, next hour uh, about some national baseball stuff, and Bruce Levine will check in from the ballpark as well. Uh, but, Paul, I wanted to ask you, we were talking about the human side of baseball and, like, how you can sort of learn a lot and observe a lot about watching these guys. And one way I've always thought about it is is seeing players um, as they struggle with their demons. Mm-hmm. And when you can see very clearly what a guy's demons are, whether it is fear or anger or the desire to party or um, arrogance, or a lack of confidence. I mean, all the stuff that any of us struggle with in our lives, Yeah, you can watch and see in these guys and then see them possibly overcome it or get dragged down by it. Yeah, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You've you, you've oh, seen this many many times, right? Yeah. Who, um, who do you like? Who do you think of as I talk about that? Well, when I think of anger, I obviously I think of Big Z, um, who's uh, back uh, pitching for the Dogs or going to be pitching for the Dogs, Chicago Dogs minor league team. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously there's been so many incidents with him and uh, the Michael Barrett thing, the D. Lee thing, um, just, you know, the end of his Cub career when he walked out of Atlanta and cleared out his locker and yeah. we're all standing there talking to Quaddy and like, well – what do you think about Big Z? And he's like, um, yeah, he left. He quit. I'm like, what? what? Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, he was one of the more interesting guys I've covered. Milton Bradley, too, obviously. He mm. was uh, really um, try started out trying to be very friendly with us and, and just degenerated so quickly. And 
it got so bad at the end. You know, he would like get paid in in cash and just stick his whole like a big stack of bills in his locker just so for us to throw it in our face that yeah, I'm making this kind of money and I don't really care what you say. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, uh, so yeah, you know. Well, that's really interesting because those two guys both. On the same and, team, too. Right, but on the same team and both anger, but such yeah. different guys. Zambra- yeah. Zambrano, lovable. Yeah. It, it, in the end and, and in yeah. inside, eventually, and Ryan Dempster, who I had in here a few weeks back, absolutely loved Zambrano and still does. Yeah. A lot of people uh, mischaracterize my relationship with him because I did criticize him a lot and he did get in my face a lot. But uh, in the end, uh, we got along and... Uh, you know, right now uh, when I talk to him, you know, we laugh about all the old stuff, like the time he, you know, asked a security guard to kill me for a million dollars. Security guard turned him down, and fortunately, uh, you know, I'm alive. So thank you. That's uh, good. Security guard, Milwaukee Brewers. That was a million dollar hit on Paul <laughs> Sullivan. But yeah, I mean, there's, I've, you know, I covered Tony Phillips when he slugged a fan in Milwaukee. Uh, oh, Tony yeah. Phillips, uh, longtime A and Tiger and then White Sox yeah. player for a while there. I always remember Tony Phillips and Jay Mariotti going out. Oh, yeah. What's yeah. good for the goose is good for the gander. Yeah, I loved Tony Phillips, probably my all-time favorite player. And even after he retired, he would call me up out of the blue and say, Hey, somebody said this on MLB Network. Would you call them and tell them that they're wrong? I'm like, wow. Tony, I'm like... <laughs> The, I'm with my family here, <laughs> but I'm yeah, sure the, the late Tony Phillips, right? Yeah, Did yeah, he, he died uh, maybe two, three years ago. Yeah, yeah. I used to, you know, we used to see him at the winter meetings, and he'd always talk about making a comeback, and huh. we'd have a beer, and uh, wow. oh, great, really great guy. All right, so, so yeah, Zambrano. It, it's so interesting him up there with the dogs, and we're gonna do a hit and run remote from up there. Cool. Um, yeah, that's good. Yeah, and I and I. I think uh, we'll, we'll hopefully the the idea is to talk to Zambrano and have Zambrano as a guest co-host that day because, man, I yeah I, I always wanted to get inside that guy's head and yeah. it's it's a it's a lot of years a lot of years late but it's yeah. still an interesting place. Well, you know they didn't really have the the mental skills kind of guys there that. I'm right. sure they had some. They had a guy we called Doctor Kooky with the Cubs. He just didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> I don't know if you remember him. I don't remember uh, Doctor. He had he was like. This is before Theo and them got there, and yeah. he was like uh, supposed to be their counselor, but and he would like get in uniform before the game and play catch with the guys like he was part of the team. Oh boy! And uh, fist bump him after the games in the line. I just mocked him mercilessly <laughs> because he was such a ridiculous guy. Well, a lot of the things, a lot of the things that went on within that organization before yeah. Theo got there. I mean, yeah. it's amazing. I, I I remember being in the suite with a guy who was in the front office and had risen up, one of those guys who had risen up from, like, intern to vice president, you yeah. know? Yeah. One of those guys. And he, I remember, with a drink in his hand, he's telling me, you know, Moneyball's been proven to be a lie. <laughs> <laughs> 2008, he's telling oh, me this. Yeah, yeah. 2009. Yeah. Moneyball's been proven to be a lie. So just flat out not believing in on-base percentage, essentially. <laughs> yeah, that's like not believing in dinosaurs, you know? Basically, who was that guy in the Carl sock? Everett. Yeah, Carl Everett. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, Greg Maddox always told me that, uh, you know, just because there are your coaches and stuff doesn't always mean they're right. And what you have to do as a player is to, um, you know, weed out the ones, listen to all of them. Obviously, they're your, your coaches, but, mm-hmm. you know, weed out the ones that you know are wrong and, you know, listen to the ones that you know know what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Um is is Maddox a guy who comes to mind when I ask you the most 
the guys you have the most respect for, the athletes. I mean, my my buddy Rosner um, yeah. would just he, he references Maddox all the time because you know just the smarts that he brought to it. And Joe Girardi will tell you how much he learned from just sitting next to Maddox on days he wasn't pitching. Yeah, Maddox, uh, Kevin Tappany was a guy like that for me too. He was hmm. just such a regular human being, and I like the like the guys that you know. They're just regular human beings, and they don't seem to let the fame and the fortune, like, affect them how they deal with writers. Because obviously, you know, we're not in their category yeah. by far. And back in the day, you know, you had a lot more conversations with players before games, just about anything. And I remember, if you remember, a guy named Pat Borders was a catcher, sure. Toronto Blue Jays for a lot of years. He was in the Sox, like at the end of his the career. End of his career. And there was an incident in Brookfield Zoo where a kid fell in a gorilla cage or something. <laughs> do you remember that? I uh, do. It must have been the '90s or late '80s, and uh-huh. we had like just a big argument about whose fault was the parents or the zoo. And you know, you, you just I don't have those kind of conversations with players anymore. I, I kind of miss those that have nothing to do with baseball, but just I understand. Just you know. Just human beings talking about what's going on in the oh, world. Oh, God. Yeah, no, that's great. All right, well, I think that's a good uh, good image to leave, uh, to leave on. You and Pat Borders talking about the Brookfield Zoo and a kid <laughs> in a gorilla cage. That's, that's you can good... Google it. Brookfield Zoo, kid falls in gorilla cage. So uh, so much we didn't get to. Yeah. So much we didn't get to, Paul Sullivan, including you. In That'll the... be part two. I think uh... so. I think we'll have to do that sometime. Okay. You in the dugout on Disco Demolition Night. Oh, my God. 40-year anniversary this year. Uh, yeah, so so maybe, so maybe we'll, we'll get you in uh, some other time down the road here. Well, thanks for having season. me, Matt. Thank I you, appreciate man. Appreciate it. Paul, appreciate it. That's Paul Sullivan, a treasure from the Chicago Tribune. Read him. Uh, online or read him in the in the newspaper. It's it's me Spiegel. It's hit and run on six seventy. The score. We'll talk some national MLB with Mike Ferrin. Talk about Vlad Jr. and some of the other stuff that's going on, as well as a little Diamondbacks and Cubs. And then our Bruce Levine will join us at eleven twenty five with the latest on Eloy Jimenez and his injury. It's hit and run right here on six seventy. The score. And um, that's uh, all I have to say about that.